Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Show. To learn more about what was discussed in this episode, including device configuration and specific examples, and how to listen to other episodes, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash security podcast and navigate to the Tax Security Show section. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the Tax Security Show, where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues seen by the Cisco Technical Assistance Center teams. Again, the goal of this uh, show is to provide useful troubleshooting tips and information directly from uh, some of the people on the Cisco TAC security teams. And we want to give you some of the knowledge and the techniques that we use in the TAC every day to solve some of your problems. So let's kick things off. Um, I'm your host, Jay Johnston. I'm, the, I'm on the Firewall TAC team here in North Carolina. And we have with us the same panel as last show. We've got, first off, Blaine Dreyer. He's a security CCIE. He's been with the TAC five years. And Blaine, we told you last episode Blaine was moving to the IDS team. He's now moved over there. It's about 30 feet away. And I noticed his cube has a whole lot more uh, nice natural sunlight than mine does. So uh, how's that treating you? It's, uh, it's really nice. Um, I noticed a huge difference in my day now that I'm not in the center of the building in the darkness. And I also noticed that uh, all my friends shun me that on the firewall team. That's so, right. uh, so we don't go to lunch anymore, and we really nope. don't talk. Um, so, <laughs> uh, no, no, it's it's really nice, and uh, and I do like the type of the type of work I get to do over there with the higher layers and getting to play with the protocols a little bit more. Um, I'm kind of uh, uh, jokingly coming back in as a as a newbie. I've been on the IDS team before, but um, I kind of get to pretend I don't know anything, and so I get to play with stuff a lot more. But it's going well, and uh, I've just started getting back in the game, so. Okay. All right. Well, next up we have Magnus Mortensen, and uh, we're going to check out, once again, we're going to check up to see how his CCIE quest is going. Magnus, give us a CCIE status update. Uh, still not CCIE certified. <laughs> um, still haven't scheduled my lab. Slacking on that, admittedly so. Uh, spent most of the time since uh, our last show trying to ramp up my study equipment to match the version 3 specs that are coming out. So that's been eating up a portion of my time. Had to get some different hardware here and there. A lot of my stuff couldn't run uh, some of the newer versions of code, so I couldn't do GetVPN was one of the challenges. So uh, basically, it's just been infrastructure changes. And once I figure out how I'm going to study for this round, I'll run into that one as well. I think the key is you just need to sign up for a date, and that will force you to study. That is true. That okay. is true. That's kind of what I did it the first two times. All right, well, we need you to get on that. All right, and last up, we have Dave. He's an escalation engineer within the TAC, and he's been with Cisco nine years. Dave's kind of grumpy today because next week he's getting called away on jury duty. So, uh, I'm not grumpy. Let's not go that far. Well, you're not looking forward to it, right? So I don't know. It's my civic duty. You know, it's the first time in my life. I've uh, managed to escape it for all these years, so um, uh, I don't know that I'm, I'm a little apprehension, you know, by going into this and not knowing if I'm going to get some you know, murder trial that I'm going to be called away for. Well, it could multiple. last a long time, right? Yeah, it could last for months, I guess. So what are we going to do without Dave for months? You should, you should take your phone in there and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would be illegal. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this episode, the first thing we're going to talk about um, is the TAC lab. So, you know, we're on the TAC team, um, and we have a large allocation of equipment available to the TAC um, that we use to do several things. So one of the most important things that we do with that is reproduce customer issues. You may have been uh, had a case open with a TAC engineer where um, if the diagnosis of the problem you know, wasn't conclusive or it was something that the TAC engineer said, okay, well, we need to take this offline and I'm going to try to reproduce this in our labs. So um, 
really, I think that's something that separates the level of support that our customers receive when dealing with a Cisco attack as opposed to other companies because I think really as opposed to being a call center, we're more of an engineering center. You know, our engineers take complete ownership of our customer issues and it's that engineer's responsibility to drive that case to final resolution, you know, from start to finish. Right, and I think also, um, you know, we in the TAC, we have this saying called uh, cradle to grave, and what that really means is is when you own a, a customer issue, you know, once you accept it, you own it until that issue is resolved or until it's dead, it reaches a grave. Um, so I think part of the reason we wanted to talk about the labs is to kind of give you guys a visual idea of what we mean when we say the lab uh, versus what, you know, other, you know, yourselves uh, might have when you guys have your own labs at your own company. Yeah, I mean, with our lab infrastructure, it, it's not a single, you know, small area. We've got a total of about 20,000 square feet of uh, lab space uh, comprising about close to 1,000 racks. I think the actual number is somewhere around 912 racks. It's an impressive thing to first look at. I know when I first started uh, here at Cisco, we were in a different building with a slightly smaller, slightly more uh, awkward lab configuration. It was but actually multiple labs. It was broken into four chunks, four different labs on scattered. two different floors, right? Yeah, it was, uh, and trying to connect devices from A to B was was uh, was a little bit miserable. But since we've relocated to a newer infrastructure, we've got you know this huge twenty thousand square foot section, uh, enough power and equipment to, you know, make Solomon blush basically. Uh, I think if, if you were to look at it, we think uh, it's roughly around 200 plus 6,500 chassis. And I'll just, you know, some of the numbers that pop off the top of my head are like uh, ASAs. We've got uh, almost 150 ASA firewall appliances, another 200 plus 7200s. Uh, I think all in all, if you were to compile all the numbers together, it's about 5,000 chassis. Yeah, we have eight CRS1s as well. Yeah, and I mean, that, it's it's just really substantial when you look at it and all, all the pretty blinky lights. Right, and it's constantly changing, too. I mean, every quarter, you know, I think our purchasing budget is over a million dollars for new gear just for the lab. And again, this is just for the TAC lab in RTP as well. So, you know, we have labs all across, you know, at every Cisco TAC site. Um, so, again, we Cisco spends an enormous amount of money ensuring that we have all the equipment that Cisco makes and in multiple copies of it so that we can produce any customer issue that, that they might have. Yeah. So the reason that we could survive even with uh, labs being in, on different floors and different places in the old building is because they're divided up by the, the use and by the teams um, that, that service those cases. So it's really the customers that drive what we have in the lab and how many uh, we have of each device. And that can allow us to, to uh, create recreates that, that allow us to reproduce your problems that, uh, that you're seeing in your cases. Yeah, right. So even besides this, the Cisco equipment we have, we also have uh, other uh, test gear, um, right, like the Spirant test gear and Ixia test gear, as well as we use, uh, I know Blaine, you use TCP replay a lot, right? Yeah, so um, we use all different types of test boxes. When, you know, way back when uh, Jay and I were actually co-ops on a team here, and we were responsible for putting together a lot of these recreates, and many engineers have uh, reason to need to generate large amounts of traffic, so we have a slew of test boxes. Uh, we'll also use anything that the customer is using to test. So um, if we get into uh, using, you know, Perl scripts, for instance, is something that I've used recently on a couple of Linux boxes in order to test multicast throughput. So uh, we'll try to match up anything that the customer is doing. So we really try to pair with the customer and and provide them with, with uh, a replication of their network so that we can test things here locally and gather data. 
Yep. I know that I've had a lot of cases myself where we've you know, run into issues that are very traffic specific. You know, we can talk about configuration issues and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of it is very specific to the traffic the customer's passing. Um, you know, if we can get something like a packet capture of that traffic, we've got technology where we can replay that packets live on the wire and just kind of see how, how, how it breaks, you know, break it the same way here as it does there. Yeah, and to organize all that equipment, obviously, there's a pretty, um a pretty well-organized infrastructure to do that. We've got um, a checkout page, which we go to, and it has all the equipment on there. And then we can reserve certain you know, pieces of equipment and uh, keep them for a certain number of days. And um, every piece of equipment in the lab has a barcode on it. And when I first started my career at Cisco, you know, just like Blaine, I was a co-op. And you know, part of my daily chores were to go around and scan every piece of equipment that was in a rack so that we could look and immediately identify, OK, you know, we've got a P1 case coming in. We need three firewall service modules. I know exactly where they are. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting and awkward how many small places you can find to stick a small barcode on each of our uh, pieces of equipment. We would label everything from the, the tiniest modules to, you know, huge uh, chassis. So it's, uh, it's weird to, to test how many angles you can put a, a grocery store scanner at in order to scan those barcodes and inventory all the products. Right. And I think Magnus mentioned that we had about 5,000 total boxes in the lab of, of gear. And of those, there's uh, about 3,000 of them are on managed power, which what, what that means is, is they're connected into PDUs or power distribution units, which are fully managed. So um, what we started recently in part of Cisco's green initiative is, as Jay was mentioning on the checkout page, you can reserve equipment uh, for your sole use in a customer recreate. But if that gear isn't in use, then what we'll do is we'll automatically power that gear down so that it's not consuming any power. And it's done from the PDUs or power distributions units, which are automatically linked in to the checkout reservation page system. Additionally, what we've started is even if the gear is in use, we can configure it such that at night the power shuts off. So automatically it'll shut off after working hours, and then when you come in in the morning, it'll reboot that box back up. So we get uh, two different types of power conservation going on um, in the lab because uh, we're on an average we're consuming about 586 kilowatt hours of electricity so every little bit of savings both helps and the cost as well as it helps uh, you know lower our consumption and you know makes this go a little bit greener and that helps a lot in the lab as well I mean from a green you know perspective it, it helps by saving power but it also gives us a really easy way to reboot boxes by having mm -hmm. networked power yeah. I, I guess one thing you need to understand is when we're doing recreates, we're not you know, moving equipment from A to B. Everything's already sitting, for the most part, racked up with the exemption of you know, modules or things that are more modular per chassis. But all the chassis are already in place in racks, uh, powered up or at least connected to power infrastructure, as, as Dave mentioned. Um, but also, they've got console connections. Everything that has the ability to have a console ca connection, which most of our products do, uh, goes up to one of you know 300 plus comm servers that we have that allow us to from anywhere within Cisco's networking infrastructure connect to the console port of any of our devices. It gives us that direct access from anywhere. Yeah. So if you imagine a, a 2800 or a 2600 with uh, huge octopus cables with lots of tentacles coming out and connecting to uh, all the different devices via their console port, we have the ability to watch a device boot, for instance, rather than you know having a telnet or an SSH connection torn down. Uh, as we have to reboot that guy. So it's really easy to uh, to build the topology and look at everything from the ground up. Right, and even for our uh, you know, server-based platforms that are you know, Windows or Linux, we have um, IP KVM switches so that you know, we can effectively connect to the, the keyboard and monitor port 
um, you know, the display out, video out port of those boxes as well. So everything in our lab is is virtualized. Yeah, that helps a ton. I actually just re-imaged a Mars box yesterday that had an IPKVM um, in another state across the country. So, and that was really easy to do with our lab setup. Using one of our other labs in uh, yeah. Austin, right? Right. And uh, we've, we've taken some pictures of us uh, running around our big old lab. And uh, so you can go over to the show notes section uh, on the uh, podcast webpage and you should be able to see some of those pictures. And we just hope this gives you a better idea of, you know, the capabilities that we have in the TAC for um, reproducing the issues that you may hit or, or, or the bugs that we may find in our products. We do it all for you. That's right. Okay, now uh, we'll move on to the technical discussion of the show. So uh, by the time this podcast airs, the version 8.2 of the ASA platform has been released. So this is a pretty exciting release. It's a pretty big release. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to run through some of the new features in AS, um, ASA version 8.2. Uh, some of them we're going to touch briefly, and then some of them we're going to talk about a bit in a bit more detail. So I'm going to run through pretty quickly some of these more minor features. Well, for some customers, they're not minor, obviously. But the first one is going to be the uh, core dump feature. So previously, if your firewall might have crashed or rebooted, your TAC engineer may have asked for the output of show crash. Sometimes that's not enough information for our developers to really understand the root cause of that problem. So we enabled a new feature called Core Dump, whereby uh, certain portions of the memory are written to the firewall's uh, flash so that they can do analysis on that later. So that's, that's a new feature in 8.2. It's disabled by default, and we would only recommend that customers turn it on if they were advised to by their TAC engineer. The next uh, feature is we now support H323 version 6. Uh, obviously, that's a voice over IP, video over IP protocol. Previously on the ASA platform, we only uh, supported H323 version 5 and lower. Um, we now support H239, which is a subset of H323, and I know some of our customers have been waiting quite a while for that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, we now also support multicast group NAT. And we've always supported, we've supported multicast on the firewall for some time, but now we support translation of the multicast destination IP address in that packet. So you can NAT from one group address to another, and you know, some of our customers have been asking for this for the increased security that it might provide. We now, in version 8.2, also support IPv6 in transparent mode on the ASA, and we're going to be talking about transparent mode probably next episode. We're going to be going into quite, um, quite a lot of detail about transparent mode. We also now support a feature called AnyConnect Essentials, and that's basically a licensing feature, and that will allow an unlimited number of AnyConnect SSL remote access connections. Um, previously, you know, a lot of our customers were using IPsec remote access clients, like the traditional VPN client, and this will allow a lot of them to migrate to that AnyConnect client. Right, because currently right now the AnyConnect clients are licensed on a per-connection basis, so you have to purchase a license for every user. The AnyConnect Essential um, allows you to have one license on the box and it applies for as many users as you want to connect up to the platform limits for that box. The difference is is that uh, the capabilities of what the AnyConnect can do have been scaled down a little so you don't have the full capabilities that you do with uh, if you had were using just a regular SSL license per user license. Okay. And we now in 8.2 support shared SSL licensing, which is kind of a neat idea. Um, Basically, you configure a central licensing ASA, a a physical firewall that's your central licensing sort of server, and that allocates blocks of VPN licenses to different other ASAs you may have, you know, all around the world that remote access clients would connect to. Right. So this is for those large companies that are geographically dispersed. Um, And previously or currently right now today, 
for every box I have, they have to purchase separate independent SSL license, and that license has to be greater than the number of users that are going to connect to that location. For the very large companies, you know, it's, it's a little expensive to do that, um, especially when you consider in redundancy and providing backup capabilities at different sites. So what this does is that basically you have a, one box that acts as the server, as Jay was mentioning, and it has a large number of licenses, say 5,000 or 10,000 licenses. And then as the users connect to other by the boxes that are geographically dispersed, they'll connect to the licensing server and request uh, a block of licenses, say 25 at a time. Um, and then the server allocates those as long as there's some available. So this way, you're maximizing the use of the license that you purchase. So I guess one question our customers may have is what happens if that uh, licensing ASA, that central server ASA goes down, you know, loses power, whatever. So if it goes down, then the peers can't request any additional licenses, but they're able to keep the licenses that they have for a time. Additionally, you can configure a backup license server such that if the primary license server is down, they'll try to connect to the backup license server. And as long as that's up, it'll still allocate new licenses until the primary comes back, and then they'll resync that information. Okay. And uh, another feature in 8.2 is that for our customers that are running the phone proxy feature on the firewall, briefly I'll just mention that we now support uh, per-interface MTAs. So if you had a service request open due to um, some complicated routing that you had to implement due to using the phone proxy feature, those problems will hopefully be resolved uh, with the new version 8.2. Right, I would mention there's a, there's a few more, you know, several other features, um, specifically in some of the VPN area space that we haven't covered today, but uh, go ahead and check out the release notes for version 8.2 on cisco.com to see the entire list of features there. Yep. So uh, another one of the features that's uh, coming out with the 8.2 uh, isn't necessarily a new concept, but a new way of doing things uh, with regards to TCP state bypass. So occasionally in some corner scenarios, corner cases, uh, we see a need where we need to allow unidirectional TCP traffic through a firewall. Um, in the sense that, you know, we only see communication from A to B. We never see any of the packets that come back from B to A. Uh, as you know, our firewalls are state tracking when it comes to TCP. You know, we see a SYN, we expect to see that SYN act for that connection that allows us to build and track and follow these connections. Occasionally, in a few cases, we're only going to see one direction of that flow, be it because of some uh, routing configuration or routing design that's on purpose or not. Uh, and in some cases, you know, we're going to have to find a way to allow this traffic through. Uh, we have a functionality called TCP state bypass, and this used to be something we called the nailed option. Uh, it was part of static translations on the firewall where you could label it as nailed, which would allow this traffic to flow through without being checked for, you know, uh, TCP state basically just blindly allows TCP packets through. Um, and that, by the way, that was requested by a single banking customer who had a direct need to um, have unidirectional traffic so it would go out through the ASA but the return traffic would come back a different direction and so we added that feature back in I think the early 5.x days uh, to the PICs uh, back then and it was actually a hidden feature so we didn't document it <laughs> and uh, you couldn't actually find it in the CLI so later on uh, we unhid the feature but again we discouraged the use of the feature because you know it was applied to the static which means any traffic destined to that IP or IP range basically wasn't getting the additional TCP security checks on it. Yeah, it really does decrease some of the security functionality of the firewall for that flow and, and that traffic specifically. Um, but again, using that static, it was 
too broad of an application. And uh, we've decided to move it down towards uh, our modular policy framework. So it's now something you can pick very specific traffic flows, match an access list for it, um, and then for only those flows, bypass TCP state checking. Um, and I think in a later episode, we're going to go into some detail about modular policy framework and kind of how it is built and how it pieces together. But when using this kind of functionality, since it is essentially opening up a hole in the security, you want to be very specific with the traffic that you're going to be uh, bypassing. And uh, you know, it's 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 definitely a nicer way to do it than using static statements. Right, and I would say that um, in addition to bypassing the TCP security checks, we also can't do the higher level inspections on that traffic as well because we typically need to see both directions of the flow yeah. for that to occur. So the the other inspections at the higher levels layer five and above are also not performed. So any of your inspect HTTP or any of your other common voice inspections, of course, aren't going to work on this. Just skips all those checks. And I guess, I think the only time I've ever had customers try to use this feature is when they had an asymmetric routing case. But we've had, I, I think I've had a couple customers request that we show them how to use the nailed option back in the day because they had something, a device that was not conforming to the TCP RFC. Yeah. You know, and you can tweak on the firewall some of those... Uh, some of those TCP settings as far as what we will and won't drop, but when it comes down to it, if the device is just completely not obeying the rules of TCP, I mean, we're going to drop those packets because we should. But uh, I guess due to whatever constraints the customers had to get that th through the firewall and it wasn't malicious traffic. So um, in this case, I, I guess that would also work for for this situation too. Yeah, and you know, sometimes if you're in a really sticky situation and you do have this asymmetric traffic flow because of some other problem in your network, it might work as a temporary workaround for you if you have to lay it in one direction. But definitely not something we would recommend just turning on. I mean, yeah. cause you're, you know, so when you turn on the feature though, what security policies on the firewall still apply to the traffic? Uh, I think uh, access lists are still gonna kick in, so you still have that kind of granular control, but anything where we're gonna be you know, uh, the IP tracking checks it. will still apply. Yeah. So yeah. most of the, lo the layer three and checks and below are still going to kick in, but anything above that, we have no real ability to look at. So yeah. we get just bypass it. Okay. And, and also, this this feature's been on the firewall service module since version uh, three two. Three two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's implemented in uh, well, it's different implementation, but the configuration is the same. I think it's a set. Yeah, it's connection. very similar. Yes. It's, yeah. Yes. Okay. Set connection TCP state bypass. So an another feature that uh, will be new to A2 is a concept called dynamic filtering. And what we mean by that is if you're familiar with the uh, Ironport products, they have a feature called L4TM. And essentially what that does is it keeps a repository of all the bad sites and the bad email domains out there uh, that cause problems with uh, spam and, and botnets, et cetera, et cetera. So we needed a way to make the ASA aware of, of those types of uh, of bad places, bad sections of the internet. So now we have a feature that essentially brings that into the ASA by uh, downloading a, a list of bad sites. And so that list is, is easily configurable through the dynamic filter command now on the ASA. And uh, so we have a, a situation where we have a bunch of internal hosts that have been infected by some virus or another. They're calling home to some section of the internet and the admin really has no way of knowing that that's going on. We encounter a lot of cases where we'll put uh, an ACL on the inside and the outside of the ASA, uh, much like we talked about last, uh, last episode by doing a capture, and we'll see hits from all different hosts on the inside of the firewall to just random places on, on the internet. 
And we just assume that that's a botnet because it's trying to hit the same port in random destinations or random ports on a single destination. And the admin has no way of actually knowing that. So we have a, a lot of users call in and, uh, and say that you know something is slow on my internal network and I don't know what. And the capture reveals that. But this is a different way of, of allowing the users to see that. Well, it's much more um, granular and the probabilities are much higher that you know it's using the iron ports uh, large database of information collected from a ton of different devices, right, and knows, uh, you know, where the bad domains are and where, where uh, you know, traffic going to specific IPs on certain ports, right, is, is specifically botnet traffic. So um, it's, you know, the, the application of analyzing that traffic and absolutely uh, assuring you that it is bad traffic is, is much better than any individual looking at the data themselves. For sure, and we're putting this in uh, several different products. Um, coming from the Ironport world, we get a lot of cool features. So we're putting it in the ASAs, and we're also putting it in IPSs. And uh, like Dave said, it raises the alert that something bad is going on by detecting traffic to predefined sets of sites. So in, the AS, uh, in, in looking at that, so you, an, an admin can look at uh, both the top botnet sites as well as the top uh, internal users that have uh, botnet traffic or uh, some other type of uh, bad traffic emanating from those devices and can look at those reports on the ASA. And one of the original concerns was uh, that we didn't have a way to allow uh, internal hosts that are going to you know particular sites and flagged by this feature to be um, to be allowed. So and we do have that. We have a whitelist and a blacklist implemented for this feature. So. If you do get a false positive, which is highly unlikely, but if you do, you can uh, insert that IP into uh, your configuration and it will bypass this check. I would like to mention that finally that this is a, a licensed feature. So um, for the customers that purchase new ASAs for manufacturing, they're going to come with a one-year license for this feature for free. Uh, for the other customers, they can get a one-year license uh, for free as well, but after that year, they're, they're, uh, we're going to be charging for the feature. Okay, and now Dave's going to tell us a little bit about um, the new SNMP v3 functionality on the firewall. Yeah, so finally, uh, you know, as a security device, uh, this is something we should have had a, a while ago, arguably. Uh, there's been several customers that have asked for it, so we finally support SNMP version 3, where prior to 8.2 we only supported SNMP v1 and v2c. So the SNMP v3, we follow the RFC 3414, which is also known as standard 62, and the main reasons for implementing it is that we can do uh, authentication of the SNMP requests that come to the ASA as well as encryption of those requests. So we can authenticate uh, the users that are trying to uh, pull information from the ASA and that information is encrypted via DES, triple DES, or AES encryption. So it was ported from uh, iOS, therefore the CLIs are very similar to uh, what iOS has in uh, the 124T line. So I mean, we're so I mean, obviously this feature's been a long time coming. I know some of our customers have wanted this for a while. So I mean, what have our customers done previously to version 8.2 if they needed to encrypt this SNMP traffic destined to or from the firewall? Well, previously, uh, what you could do is, if they were going across the internet into a corporate site, you could do a land-to-land -land tunnel um, across the internet such that the SNMP data. Uh, was encrypted across the internet, but the other option is they could just terminate the tunnel on the ASA itself and then across that tunnel uh, request the data via SNMP 
or have traps sent from the ASA out the tunnel to the management endpoint. The tunnel terminated directly on the firewall, and then the, that transited the uh, SNMP. Right, and actually, there's uh, quite a few companies that are in the managed services business um, that that do it that way. Actually, okay. I guess that's kind of similar to our Telnet implementation on our firewalls. You know, one of the restrictions is you can't have clear text Telnet on your lowest security interface. So one of the ways that you can get around the restriction is to terminate a tunnel in the same way that you'd be doing it for this SNMP v3 traffic as well, or, well, previous versions of SNMP. Prior to SNMP. Yeah, prior to SNMP v3. But, you know, terminate it, and then you can Telnet over that tunnel. It's essentially the same idea. All right, so that's the features from 8.2. We're going to... We, we, we wanted to um, get out there for you guys. Um, as always, remember to uh, read the release notes that are online at cisco.com, uh, especially if you plan to upgrade. Uh, check those instructions and the platform requirements before uh, just loading that up on your, on your firewall. I guess we should mention that. Uh, it's kind of a common question. Is, uh, you know, do I need to do a memory upgrade to, to run uh, 8.2? And the answer is no. So any ASA platform can run 8.2. Um, the, other, the other thing to mention is that uh, prior to 8.2, most of the platforms, uh, the highest version they would run would be 8.0, with the exception of the 55.80, which ran its own train called 8.1. Um, in, in the 8.2 release, it'll run on any ASA platform, so both the 55.80s as well as all the other platforms. And finally, I'd like to mention, we, we didn't really mention it as a feature, but uh, because the feature was added in 8.1, but NetFlow uh, has been added. It's since it existed in 8.1, it got carried over into 8.2. So the 5580 customers have been able to have eight, uh, the NetFlow in 8.1 for a while now, but now NetFlow is supported across all platforms in 8.2. So as far as uh, a hitless upgrade, meaning that we would uh, upgrade a failover pair from, say, 8.0 to 8.2, so do we support that? Do we support a hitless upgrade to 8.2? Yeah, we support, uh, we support, and hitless upgrades, we support, one major version difference, so as long as there's only one major version. Um, so you can go from 8.1 to 8.2, and for the other ASA platforms, since they're running 8.0, there is no other major version, so even though it's a numerically different, uh, it, it, it'll work fine. Okay. All right, now it's time for the TAC trivia question. Um, our trivia question today, if you think you know the answer, remember to write us at securityshow at cisco.com and put TAC trivia in the subject and your answer in the body of an email message, and we'll pick a winner from the pool of correct answers and get you some sort of prize. Okay, here we go. Panos, a network administrator, is replacing a checkpoint firewall with a Cisco ASA. Good job, Panos. There are routers on the inside and outside interfaces of the existing firewall. The checkpoint firewall is configured to translate internal web servers to globally routable IP addresses on the internet. Panos replaces the checkpoint firewall with the ASA, and after doing so, he can't access the web servers from the internet through the firewall, but he can ping the firewall's outside interface. Frustrated, Panos unplugs, then plugs back in the power cables to all of the devices, and all the access starts to work. So, the question is, after the device was swapped, what was causing inbound connectivity to the inside network to fail? And how could Panos have fixed the problem without power cycling any of the equipment? If you think that you know the answer, please write us at securityshow at cisco.com and put TAC trivia in the subject and your answer in the body of an email message, and we'll pick a winner from the pool of correct answers and get you some sort of prize. Okay, that's it for episode number two. Thanks for listening. Please send topic suggestions and comments to securityshow at cisco.com. And remember, you can always open a TAC case at www.cisco.com slash TAC or by calling 1-800-553-2447, also known as 1-800-553-CHIP.
Join us next episode where we'll be discussing transparent firewall and the life cycle of attack case. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Attack Security Show. To learn more about what was discussed in this episode, including device configuration and specific examples, and how to listen to other episodes, go to www.cisco.com/go/securitypodcast and navigate to the Tax Security Show section.